Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Brother Morris Nicholson. to speak this morning particularly on part of that chorus that was sung there in him in him christ god's mercies combine they all come together in christ god's mercies i know it's mother's day and our thoughts go to our mothers some of whom have gone on but i was reminded again that uh, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And it's good to have a mother who fears the Lord today. And I was reminded again as I heard it from Ephesians in the law, it's written <clears throat> that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor, and I'm leaving Father, honor your mother. Honor your mother. It's a first commandment with a promise that your life may be long on the earth. God honours mothers, <clears throat> mothers who brought life into this world, and we honour them this morning. I am reminded <clears throat> of women when I read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and he was taken into a house where he saw and it was welcome. One of the women who welcomed him in was Mercy. She, her name was Mercy. When you read uh, Proverbs 31, you'll find the description of a merciful mother. Very good description. So when we come this morning, I want to uh, look at the, uh, the um, PowerPoints that... Uh, show us the pathway I want to go this morning. <clears throat> I want to speak on the issue of mercy because the Bible teaches us we have <clears throat> a merciful, that is someone full of mercy, a merciful high priest. And <clears throat> the thought I want to take you to here is the fact that in the book of Hebrews, God has spoken to us by his son. Now, that's God the Father has spoken unto us by his son. It's a family. And there is a family distinction 
that characterizes both the father and the son. There's the same nature. Because the Bible says the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So when we come to the Lord Jesus himself, he has some very strong things to say. He says, quoting from John's gospel, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Then this statement, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man who is in heaven. So here we have a fact that no man has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven. He came down, he took a mortal body. He speaks of heaven because heaven is his home. That's where he came from. He went back to heaven, but he went back as mortal man. But he says, I've told you earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So there are earthly things being spoken of and there are heavenly things that are, can be spoken of. And one of the heavenly things is Jesus is God manifest in the flesh on earth. And Philip asked the question, show us the Father. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. They are he is an exact representation of his father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in my father and that the father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. <clears throat> there is an absolute unity in spirit in the Godhead. And on earth, Jesus could say, I've been with you this period of time. Philip, don't you know me? You've seen me. You've seen the Father. So we must ask the question. Next slide, please. Uh, um, Sean, if you could go on to the next one. That's it. I put at the top, God's name is his nature as revealed in his works. God's name is his nature. Every time God has a name given to him, it reflects his nature. And that nature or attribute of God is revealed in his works. It has the stamp of God upon it. I've extracted out of the Old Testament thoughts that lead us to God the Father and his actions. And I've put it in Daniel 9 verse 15 first of all and the issue is god has a name and his name is revealed by his works in daniel 9 and verse 15 it says this now o lord our god who brought your people out of egypt with a mighty hand 
and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned, we have done wrong. What Daniel is saying, looking back over the history of Israel from the time God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and finally they went down to the land of Egypt, from that time of God's dealings with them as a nation, <clears throat> God revealed his name to them by his actions, it says, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. Now, Daniel looks back over the history of Israel and he's looking back over hundreds of years. He's looking back from the time Israel was slaves in the land of Egypt. And from that time, God bringing them out, he manifested his saving power and grace amongst them constantly. <clears throat> and he says, you, you made a name for yourself in the actions you did. You brought your people out of Egypt and he brought them into the land. <clears throat> so God made himself a name by his actions. Now, what we read in Daniel is much more fully expressed in Nehemiah. If you take your Bible, if you've got your Bible there, you're in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah 9. I'm going to read partway through the last part of verse 5. Where the uh, Levites standing up, exhorting the people, they say, stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. That is the eternal God from generation to generation, from eternity to eternity, if you could have that. Then he said, praise him. That's who he is. Then they say, blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. And the first creditation of the name God has is here verse six you alone are the law sovereign absolute in power notice its creation you made the heavens even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them you give life to everything and the multitude of heaven worship you so that is the attribute of god as creator worship him then he goes to the thought of Israel's history. And we go from verse on, verse 7. You are the Lord God you, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and named him Abraham. Change of name, change of dealings with him. You found his heart faithful to you. You made a covenant with him to give him his descendants, the land of Canaanites. Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Gergesites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. And you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. <clears throat> You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. Very interesting. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. Nehemiah is after Daniel. 
Further on in years, they're back in the land after the captivity in Babylon. And again, Nehemiah says, you made a name for yourself. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into the mighty waters. By day, you led them with a pillar of cloud. And by night, with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. So here is God in their midst. This is the nature of God in his dealings with these people. It's all in mercy. It's all in grace. It is love for them that he's doing this. Then you go down in the text, and I'll put you from verse 15. And it gives you the idea of Israel. Verse, in their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked in the rebellion, appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God gracious and compassionate here is his mercy slow to anger and abounding in love therefore you did not desert them even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said this is your god who brought you up out of egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies because of your great compassion you did not abandon them in the desert by day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine in the way they were to take. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manner from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. You fought for 40 years. You sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor their feet become swollen. They're amazing statements. That is mercy of God as opposed or compared to the reaction of Israel to his dealings. You go down to verse 31. Notice what it says. Nehemiah 9.31, it says, But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So we have expressed to us the mercy, immense mercy of God, the God dealing with his people, his children, the nation of Israel, his firstborn son, whom he brought out of the land of Egypt, the character and nature of God revealed. He made a name for himself. You go on further, and this is um, opened out to us. If you go back to Exodus 34, Exodus 34, God is with Moses, and we're in verse 5 to 7, Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7. Then the, cloud, then the Lord came down in the cloud on the Mount Sinai and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, listen to the words, the Lord, 
the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. This is his merciful nature. God is by nature essentially merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And you can see that as, as you examine what God did with this nation of Israel. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their, and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. In another text it says, those that hate me. So the opposite here is those that love God, that's his merciful nature. But then those who hate him, there is uh, exhibited, he, uh, he holds them guilty. He, 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 he does not leave the guilty unpunished. <clears throat> so you can turn across and look at the Lord himself. Exodus 3.15. Exodus 3 and verse 15. Because God <clears throat> is the Lord. In verse 15 of Exodus 3, this is what it says. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So God has made himself a name and his name by his actions reflect his attributes, his nature. So this is God as they knew him, not as God in the flesh on the earth. But my Bible tells me that Christ is an exact representation of his father. So as we see God dealing with the nation of Israel and is so merciful in their rebellion, in what they did, he shows his exceeding great mercy constantly. And Christ is an exact representation of his father. <clears throat> you can turn across just to add a little more. Exodus 6, verse 2. Very interesting verse. Exodus 6, verse 2. It says, God also said to Moses down in Egypt, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, the strong one. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, God made himself known to Israel in slavery in Egypt. He showed himself to be the Lord of lords. They lorded it over, the Israelites in Egypt. So I also established my covenant with them to give them the land. And he says, I've heard what they did. <clears throat> So you, you come to um, this section and, and chapter 7 and verse 6 says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So the sovereign Lord judged for the sake of the nation of Israel. He judged the land of Egypt. And even Pharaoh's servants said to him, don't you know Egypt is destroyed? 
So heavy were the plagues that came upon the land of Egypt. And God is showing, making a name for himself in bringing a nation out of a captivity, unable to help themselves. He frees them and stays with them. And in mercy, in spite of their reaction to his leadings into difficult situations, in the places where there was not easy, they wanted to go back. And in his mercy, he never withheld the manna. He never withheld the uh, constant supply of water, only under two instances. And so you, you have this merciful God of the Old Testament. Now, the son is the exact representation of his father. So the first thing we find in the book of Hebrews is he is revealed. He's made the name as the creator. Because in the book of Hebrews, it tells us... <coughs> that he, through him, through Christ, he made the universe. For all things were made through him. So the name of creator belongs to the son. He's the maker of heaven and earth. That's it. He's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So that's the first name God established when he, when he comes down to earth. He is the Lord. And as the title of the Lord is given to Jesus, that makes him the maker of heaven and earth, which the New Testament also reveals. All things were made by him. So since the sun is the radiance of God's glory, exact representation of his being, we expect the representation, the, the, the understanding that he is by nature merciful. He's full of mercy. So I chose out of that psalm that was sung, in him, God's mercies combine. They all come together in Christ, God's mercies. So he, since he is the radiance of God's glory, exact representation of his being, we expect to see mercy demonstrated and, and talked about by Jesus himself. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, In him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the full expression can be seen in Christ. So we are looking at one aspect of the nature of God's being, his mercy. Now, to take mercy, Jesus used parables. So I'm going to take you to the thought, why did Jesus teach in parables? Because he taught constantly in parables. And he explains why he did. If you go to Matthew 13, this is Jesus' explanation. Matthew 10, verse 13, uh, verse 11, uh, verse 10, Matthew 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he answered in a strange way. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, not to them. It's interesting. The reason I speak in parables is the knowledge of the secrets, the secrets of the kingdom. So there are secrets, hidden things, mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He said, the knowledge of them has been given to you, but not to them. And then he explains what happens when he gives them in parables. <clears throat> But you go on down in that, and you're in verse 
16. He says to them, his disciples, blessed, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Now those of the crowd heard, but did not see, did not hear. They heard, but did not hear. They, they, they saw, but did not see. Verse 17, for I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now go across in your Bible to verse 34 and note the wording. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Then it says, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. And when he uses a parable, he said, their eyes don't see, their ears don't hear. But your eyes do. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So what are parables? They are things hidden since the creation of the world. Notice that's their origin. Way back there at the creation in the council of God, what is in the parables was planned out. So in the parables are remarkable things. And when Jesus had finished this, he says, <clears throat> verse 51, he says to his disciples, have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. New and old. We call it Old Testament and New Testament. They are filled with treasures. This book is <clears throat> the owner of the house has revealed everything in the book. And in it is treasures, new and old. He says he brings them out. So when we come to the parables, we are seeing things that have been planned from the creation of the world. Now, to illustrate mercy, Jesus told a parable. So you're in Luke 10 verse 25 to 37. Luke 10, and we're dealing with a parable. I'm sorry. Yeah. Luke, I mean in Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 10. One that's well known to us. The parable is given from verse 25 to 37. The reason I focus on this is in verse 7, 37. Please notice the reply of the expert in the law. He replied to a question of Jesus. Notice the wording, to the one who had mercy on him. So he is identifying the action seen in this parable is an action of mercy. 
And Jesus applied the truth and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We're not dealing with that yet. All right. But the identity of the parable itself, its message is the one that showed mercy. So let's start with the parable. We're in verse 25. Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Please underline, note in your wording, this is self-righteousness. He wanted to justify himself. In reply, Jesus said, a man, and if you've got an, a King James, a certain man. We'll read it through the parable, which is familiar to most people, even people of the world often know the content of this parable. <clears throat> it's Samaritan's Purse has a name from this parable. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is the question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The man discerningly answered, the one who had mercy on him. So we have three mentioned in the parable. And he identifies the one who had mercy on him. So let's go to the parable. Because Jesus said a lot of things which have been hidden from the creation of the world. And this parable is a demonstration of mercy. So go back to verse 30. Luke 10 verse 30. You've got a, a King James. It says, a certain man. My NIV has a man. That means when you see a certain man, no name given, I can put myself there. You can put yourself there. This is written to include all mankind. A man was going where? Up or down? Direction is important with God. He was going down. 
Abraham went down into Egypt after God had met him. And it was not a good move. It was down. He had to come up again out of Egypt. This man is going down. His back is towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of peace. So his back, he's heading away from the city of peace. He's going his own way. He's going down. And he's heading for Jericho, the city of Jericho. And in the Bible, Jericho is known as the city of destruction. When Joshua came in, it was destroy the city. Don't keep anything. Destroy it. So we have him with his back towards the city of peace. He's going down all the way. And literally it is, when you come to Israel, it is down. You're well below sea level when you get to Jericho. It's down all the way. And Jericho at the end of that road is the city of destruction. On his way down there, this man, which is myself or yourself, you can put yourself there. He fell into the hands of robbers, thieves. Now in the Bible, there is one thief above all thieves. Jesus called him, the devil, a thief and a robber. And he has unclean spirits and demons that operate with him. But he's a thief and a robber. That's how he, Jesus identified him. He fell into the hands of these. Now notice the action. They stripped him of his clothes. When did we get stripped of our clothes? Way back in the Garden of Eden. We got stripped of our covering. That's when it happened. Adam sinned and the glory left. So we've lost our covering. We don't have it anymore. They stripped him of his clothes. That's the first loss. They took it from him. Beat him. That is, there are marks of the path you have taken. And some people bear it outwardly on their bodies. I remember having a student in Fiji who had a big scar right down his arm. <clears throat> and he had smashed a window in a jeweler's shop, went in to grab what was inside and the glass fell, slit his arm. And all the police did was follow the blood and took him to prison. That was it. He's one of our best students in college. He didn't go high in education but he was one of their best evangelists, is now still. <clears throat> so some people have the outward marks of the path they have gone in slavery to sin and doing their own thing. Some of us have much marks inside. We have a past. You mightn't see it outside, but it's all inside. There are hurts, there are bruises, there are all kinds of things. <clears throat> the Bible says they beat him and went away. So he's left in that condition. He's stripped, he's beaten, and the Bible says they left him half dead. Now, in the Bible, you're either dead or you're alive. This is the only place you'll find half dead. How can a person be half dead? Well, he can be eating, drinking, speaking, living in this world, but he is dead in trespasses and sins. So he is half dead. He appears physically alive, but he is spiritually dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins is how 
gospel defines us in our past when we lived in sin. Before God saved us, that's our past. He the leaving him half dead. So we have a very big picture of someone who's helpless, hopeless, lying there, treated like this. So who's going to meet his need? So a priest, a priest. Notice the wording. He's going down the same road. He's going the same road as this man was. That is, his back is towards Jerusalem. He's heading to Jericho, the city of destruction. The priest is. Priest represents religion. <clears throat> Doesn't matter what religion. Even the Christian religion, in inverted commas, doesn't make you a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It takes a birth. It takes an action of God to do it. You can go to church, but not be a Christian. So a priest comes down. He's going the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He couldn't help him. <clears throat> then we have a Levite. An expert in the law. Law can tell you what to do. So when he came down to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. That means the Levite was going the same way. The, the law can't save you. can tell you what you should do, but it does not have power to, do, to change you, particularly someone who's half dead. So we have this man in a helpless position. The word but occurs in the NIV in 33, but here is the contrast. A Samaritan. I wondered why Jesus used the word Samaritan. And I think the key lies here. When you're in John 4, Jesus was sitting at a well and a Samaritan woman came to the well wanting water and he was sitting at the well. And Jesus, a Jew, said to the Samaritan woman, woman, give me a drink. She said, how is it? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Don't you know Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans? Meaning we are a despised and rejected people by you Jews, which is true. So we have the person coming down, it pictures someone who is despised and rejected. In fact, is a man of sorrows. As he traveled, notice he did not come the same road. It just says in your Bible, as he traveled, he's not coming the same road. But he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, compassion. This is mercy expressed. He went to him. So what did he do? He got off his donkey. Because you find later on, he put the man on his own donkey. <clears throat> So he got off his own donkey, and donkey, this man riding the donkey, Jesus is not using anything except expressing immense truth. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey <clears throat> as the king of the Jews. So he is, before this ever happens, in the last week of his life here on earth, he uses a Samaritan coming down on a donkey. <clears throat> it says he went to him. He went to him. The man could not come to Jesus. He went to him. And he bandaged his wounds. The first thing, he covers them up. The man looks. He can't see his wounds anymore. 
he poured in oil and wine, two things. Oil is a soothing and wine is a disinfectant, really, naturally. But oil represents the Holy Spirit. He poured in oil, that is the full measure of the Holy Spirit's work in this life. And wine with the blood, shedding, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. So there is pictured for us a complete salvation taking place in this man. He lifts him up. He put the man on his own donkey. That's a remarkable statement. What's that mean? You are now the son of a king. That's what it's saying. And took, care, and took him to an inn. Jesus led the donkey to an inn. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What's an inn? Well, it's a motel. It's a place where someone will look after you, where you're cared for. You can lie down. They will really look after you in a, in a motel. Not only that, the next day he took out the money, two silver coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. So the payment for his looking after is covered by this man who brought him out. His, his, his words are, look after him to the innkeeper, he said, and when I return, now if you've got a King James, it's an excellent wording, and when I come again, Jesus is coming back and he speaks to the elders in 1 Peter 5. When I come, you've been faithful in your eldership. I would come with my reward to you. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So what is this parable about? This parable is about Jesus. This parable is giving us the nature of the mercy of God as opposed to religion, which cannot save us. Religion as a service and things you've got to do and all that kind of thing. Or the law, which demands absolute obedience. And if you break one, you've broken the lot and you're under condemnation. <laughs> this is mercy. Mercy expressed in a helpless condition of a man. And it comes in as God does this kind of thing to the man. Mercy is shown by God. Mercy has been shown by God in Christ. That's why the song said, in him, all God's mercies combine. They come together in him. But what I find is this. Not only is mercy shown, mercy has to be received. It's God has shown mercy. Parable tells us that. From the foundation of the world, this was planned, and the parable illustrates it. So from the foundation of the world, Christ's coming as he did had been laid out by God in a plan to reveal his very nature to mankind who were in sin. He bypassed the angels. He did not help them. He came to helpless man, and he helps. Mercy is to be received. Now, here are two clear and distinct things we must understand. God has shown mercy. That is the message of the gospel. God has shown it. But mercy must be received. And while this is not, can't be called a parable, I'll call it a figure, a picture. All right. So you're in Mark 10, 46 to 57. So this is mercy. And the lesson is, mercy must be received. God has shown mercy, but mercy must be received. Uh, you're in Mark 10, 
and you're down in verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. Notice where they are. Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd, you've got the large crowd, remember they can't, they've heard his parables, but they don't see, they don't understand what the, the content is. His disciples have it explained to them. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. So they're just passing out of Jericho because he is heading up to Jerusalem. That's the pathway in uh, in this chronology in, in, as you go through this, the gospel. With a large crowd, we're leaving the city, a blind man. So we have one blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. He's a beggar. He can't do anything. He has to beg for anything he gets. He can't do anything. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, because from the other Gospels, he, he asked, who, what, what is happening? Who is it? And they said to him, it's Jesus of Nazareth, prophet from Nazareth. He, he, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Please notice the cry, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, if you've got a, a King James, along the way, the way up to Jerusalem. So what's the parable about? What's the figure about? Let's give it some sense. Notice. They've just left Jericho, the city of destruction again. They've just left the city of destruction. So just outside the city of destruction, meaning he's left Jerusalem like the, the uh, certain man in the, the other parable. Now he's just outside Jericho. He's just at the point of destruction, ready to go out of this life. And that's him. Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd are leaving the city. The man is blind. He cannot see. The crowds can see. They can see who's there. The man is blind. But Timaeus is interesting. Bar means son of. Timaeus means the unclean. Now that pictures every, every person who's come from Adam. We have come from Adam. We are sinners. We have come from Adam. As in Adam, all die. We are sinful and we are sinners. He's the son of the unclean. Can the son of the unclean become a son of God? This man is blind. He can't see a thing. He was sitting by the roadside. 
begging, meaning he has no means of providing anything for himself. He is absolutely helpless. He's dependent. He's a useless member of society. That's his position. He's begging. And he wears a coat, a cloak over him that identified him as a beggar. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, that's what he heard. This man, this prophet from Nazareth, this son of the carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, that despised city, he's going by. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, that immediately tells you a shaft of light of the truth of the gospel of God had shone into his heart. This is not Jesus from Nazareth, the man, the carpenter. This is the promised seed of David who would sit on the throne of David one day and he would have a kingdom that would be eternal by nature. That's the one who's passing by. Jesus, the man, son of David, have mercy on me. <clears throat> so his cry is for mercy. I don't deserve it. I have nothing to bring, but have mercy on me. Now, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. What's that tell you? You hear the call of the gospel to come to Christ. You know who he is. You know he's the only one who can meet your need. When you respond to that call, you are going to have many to mock you, to tell you it won't work to tell you it's useless coming, look at your past, you've tried before, what about it? No, but no point. They rebuked him. But the interesting thing, when God puts faith in the heart by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, the more they tried to rebuke him, the louder he shouted. Means he, God allows testing of the reality of the faith that's in us when he calls us to himself. If it is built on the Word of God, you come to Christ, no matter how uh, or what kind of opposition will face you, you're determined to go to the only one who can meet your need. And basically, we are under wrath. <clears throat> if we have not received Christ, we are under wrath. <clears throat> so we need mercy. And mercy from the Son of David. Jesus stopped. Vast prayer and said call him so the word came to this man singly uniquely god will speak to us as individuals call him so they call to the blind man cheer up on your feet he's calling you so they allowed the message to get to this man Throwing his cloak aside. Notice what he did. My past is finished. I'm not going to be a beggar anymore. I'm coming to. He knew the reality of the change that was going to take place. Throwing his cloak aside. I'm not coming back here to beg. I'm not going to sit outside Jericho begging anymore. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. I just wonder sometimes did he identify Jesus' words? 
in the in the light of all the crowd rebuking him and doing whatever they did but i know we come to jesus because his word speaks to us and when he gets there jesus said what do you want me to do for you jesus asked him that blind man said rabbi i want to see meaning i've lived in darkness for long enough i come to you i've cried for mercy i want to see go said jesus it was instantaneous your faith has healed you so his trust in christ could not be put down by the many who did not want him to come telling him to be quiet opposed his actions he came because he believed that this was the son of david and this son of david according to the old testament scriptures was no different to his father was a god of mercy as he'd been to israel a god of mercy he realized he could come to him as a god of mercy and he would receive mercy and it's interesting to know immediately he received his sight so what did he do he looked at jesus he saw him and he followed jesus along the road along the way jesus was heading for jerusalem and finally to the cross he was in fellowship with jesus so we have these parables remarkably given to us one mercy is shown two mercy is to be received but we have another parable <clears throat> we have another parable about mercy if you take your bible go to luke 7 verse 40 to 50 luke 7 Again, it's a parable, so it has meanings. We're in Luke 7 from verse 40, 40. So Pharisee, Simon, and there's an incident where a woman has come in to the house where Jesus is and has wept his feet, sobbed and washed them with the hair, wiped them with the hair, and put ointment on his feet the uh, pharisee looked down at the woman jesus knew what sort of woman she was he would never allow her to do that to him so jesus is answering what's going on jesus has a remarkable way just doesn't condemn the pharisee he just tells a parable jesus answered him simon i have something to tell you because the, the Pharisee had said, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner, meaning I'm not. She's a sinner. So here we have degrees of levels set by man. And so Pharisee is righteous. The woman is a sinner in his eyes. Jesus says to him, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, he turned to the woman, he looked at the woman, but he said to Simon, 
Do you see this woman? Meaning, I see her. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven, been forgiven little, loves little. So the big question rises. How much have you been forgiven? How much have I been forgiven? What is the measure? How much was necessary of my sins? Was there a mountain of them? Or were there just a few? Said, little woman, your sins are forgiven. Knowing who she was, knowing the lifestyle she'd lived, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what's the Bible teach us? We love him because he first loved us. When we were without strength, we were helpless. Christ died for the ungodly. While we were hopeless, while we were the enemies of God, Christ died, the just for the unjust, so he could bring us to God. <clears throat> Out of this parable rises the words of Jesus. Be merciful. Just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Let's go on to the last slide. Uh, I've taken uh, this thought in, out of the song that was sung. In him, Christ, God's mercies combine. They all come together in him. In wrath, remember mercy is the cry and prayer of Habakkuk. In wrath, Remember mercy. There are two things opposed to each other. Wrath and mercy. Merciful is what God is. Can he be wrathful? Yes, he can. Can he be angry? Yes, he can. Can he feel indignation? Yes, he can. God is a God of love. But does God hate? Yes, he does. He loves righteousness, but he hates iniquity. So the issue is, Coming to God for mercy. Why should I come to God for mercy? Now, I'm going to leave out a section here of James. I think I can leave it out. But we can go to Luke 6, 32 to 36, and then I'll go down from there. Otherwise, it will be too long. Luke 6, 32 to 36. Because this comes before the one, the parable Jesus spoke. Luke 6, 32 to 36. Very searching words in our lives, these. Luke 6, 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? There's no credit. You love those who love you. Even sinners... Love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, and they do. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Then it comes with a searching comment, verse 35, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, like Father, like Son. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We are to bear the nature of the children who have a heavenly father. So he says, be merciful just as, in exactly the same way, your father is merciful. Your father in heaven. So I have a few questions in closing. Mercy is so important to God. It is the gospel. God has had mercy. He's shown it. We've seen through the parable in this Bartimaeus, mercy that God has shown is to be received by us, understanding the immensity of our condition. We are about to perish in our sins. And Christ calls us by the gospel to new life in Christ himself. We begin to see, really see, spiritual things, heavenly things. We see the unseen. Question is, who finds mercy? Very interesting text, Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Mercy is so important. Proverbs 28. And verse 13, for the King James, it has, he who covers his sin will not prosper. In the NIV, he who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Notice. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Is there a position where I am to find mercy? Then it has to do with my sins. If I cover my sins, I will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces or forsakes them, he leaves them finds mercy so there is a big foundation to the gospel it is called repentance from dead works half dead unable to do anything no producing nothing absolutely sinful by nature controlled by it in the hands of the evil one in the kingdom of darkness he calls us out of that terrible place where sin has led our life through all that that man experienced going down from jerusalem 
till the good Samaritan coming on the donkey looked with mercy in my helplessness, stripped of my covering, beaten and half dead by the roadside. That's how he meets us. And then opens his immense mercy to us, puts us on his own donkey, makes us a son of the king, takes us to an inn, which is like a fellowship, where there is a pastor and elders and they look after you. And God makes the promise, here, here it is, you look after him, I will provide. But if it costs you any more, he said, when I come again, I will repay you. Amazing words, pictures put before us. How many of us have come to Christ and found ourselves in a fellowship where we have been looked after, where we have a pastor who's been a shepherd to us, looked after us. It may cost him quite a bit sometimes. You have Werner there, you know, who's is now a bit frail in the body, like some of us old people are. A bit frail in the body, being a faithful shepherd of the sheep, like that kind of thing. God says, if it costs you any more, when I come again, I will repay you. That's the promise to a pastor, an elder who's done his work well. So there are immense truths laying here before us. Mercy is found at the throne of grace. We confess our sins. God is faithful and just. I've not touched his faithfulness as high priest. His justice is seen in the way he provides mercy. It's what he did. His justice is seen. Where is mercy found? Hebrews 4.16. Let us come with confidence to the throne of God's grace. That throne is sprinkled by the blood of Jesus in heaven. The incorruptible blood of the Son of God bears testimony in heaven on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And that one there is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means he satisfied the just demands of a holy God because I deserved his wrath for my sin. But in mercy, I have experienced the truth that I have an advocate with the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins. Then it says, not for ours only. It is for the sins of the whole world. So if you're sitting outside or listening to this, and you're in the world, and you wonder well, what can be done about your life, is there any place for mercy because of what I've done? Is there any, anything that can cleanse me from my guilty conscience? Because I remember many things I have done. Is there any? Yes, there's a place at the throne of God's grace. It's blood sprinkled. On what basis can we approach the throne of God's grace with confidence? How, how can we confidently come? The reason we can come is the high priest is merciful. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly what you're experiencing. He's been tempted, but he had no sin. We have been tempted. We have sinned. That's our past. Every person is tempted. There is a conscience in every person. And guilt is a terrible thing. People often commit suicide because the guilt is so heavy on them. So when it comes to this kind of thing, is there reality in the gospel? Yes, there is. And I put in Wesley's hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. 
some of you may remember it from singing and can it be that i should gain an interest in the savior's blood died he for me who caused his pain that is my sin caused his death for me who him to death pursue but he puts in at the end of two verses two lines first one is tis mercy all notice tis mercy all had had a Wesley grabbed its mercy and all. It's the, this immense mercy of God. God is merciful by nature. Let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more because he did not take on him the nature of angels. He took on him helpless, fallen, ungodly man to redeem. That's the gospel message. And last one. Tis mercy all, this is the response, immense and free, didn't cost you anything, it cost him everything, it's a free offer, it's a gift, you cannot purchase your salvation, you cannot pay anything or do anything to earn it, it is a gift by grace, and Wesley knew it and he said, for oh my God, it found out me. I wonder if that's our testimony today. The mercy of God, the immensity of it, has found me out. And I have experienced and known what it is to receive mercy and understood that God has shown mercy. Bless you. Thank you, Sean. Uh, I'll hand back to you. Gary or whoever is there. Well, I'll take it over just quickly. What a uh, thank yeah. you, Brother Morris, and um, amen and amen. Uh, I mean, again, I, I, you can't hear a message like that and church and uh, just not be so moved at the mercy of God. Doesn't matter. Amen. We've been a Christian for how long we've served God for. The glorious truth that uh, we've just heard again today just bear to mind the the depth of of um god's mercy and grace towards us yeah so, um yeah i'm sure we've all been blessed by that this morning